0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Telemore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands, worshaw.ie.
1: Good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the world of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me and the weather has taken a definite cold turn since I was speaking to you all last week. It's set to continue well into next week. So, look, no harm at all. It's the 10th of January and now is the time for the wintry weather. No question about that. Uh, The show this week and with calving just around the corner and indeed Really close on some of the larger dairy farms. Chagas are holding two webinars this week and next on calf rearing, firstly, and then sourcing and feeding dairy beef calves. Alan Dillon from the Dairy Beef 500 programme will join me to chat about those in just a moment. Also, later in the programme, we heard on the news there about the BT Young Scientist competition. We have three girls from Ballymahan Vocational School, we have Laura Flood. Kira Hopkins and Grace Castles they're competing in the competition and it's certainly an agri themed project they have they are looking at cow collars and asking the question as to whether or not they are actually beneficial really looking forward to hearing about that product and well done to the girls for getting this far and all the hard work that they have put into their project to date uh, our food exports in 2023 have topped 16 billion euro for the second year in a row huge numbers when you think about it. Board B of figures have just been announced and it's Obviously, this is a testament to the hard work that farmers have been putting in throughout the country over the last 12 months. We're going to look at those figures a little bit later with John Tobin from Board BIA to see where the gains and losses are between this year and last and just how inflation is affecting certain areas of consumer spending. Towards the end of the hour, I have a very interesting guest on the programme and that's Dr. Steve Collins. He's joining us from his small farm in West Cork. It's called Derry Duff Farm to chat about a plant. He's growing down there, which produces an arona berry. What's an arona berry? I hear you ask. I asked exactly the same question when I first heard about it, and I was really surprised by the answer. So you have to stay tuned to find out what it is. Steve is also involved in projects stretching as far as Africa, where his efforts are genuinely making a difference with people who are starving. Hugely interesting individual. Stay tuned for that towards the end of the hour. Now, as always, text or WhatsApp the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 83 thirty ten one oh three. Now as I said, starting off with Alan Dillon from Chagas Dairy Beef five hundred. Alan, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thanks, MJ. Uh so Alan, two webinars coming up, one next Tuesday, one um a fortnight thereafter, and uh all in relation to the area of calves, calf health, calf husbandry, calf rearing. Just a Dairy Beef five hundred, Alan, uh, for people who may not be familiar with it, what exactly is the programme, please?
2: Yeah, it's, I suppose it's a program that's designed for both dairy and beef farmers in mind. Um, if you take calf rearing, okay, we we calved down probably, you know, one and a half million dairy calves, uh, you know, cows in, in Ireland. And um, look, a proportion are kept for replacements and 200,000 are, are exported every year. But look, we're heading more and more towards there'll be less dairy replacements needed on farms as dairy expansion cools down. In a couple of years, it's expected there'll be around close to a million beef calves reared in Ireland. Um, so with that in mind, we designed a program that would hopefully work to, I suppose, give maybe a better skill set to people who are buying calves or dairy farmers who are keeping their own calves um, to um, hopefully make it a profitable enterprise. And also on the dairy side of the house, what we're trying to do is maybe improve the breeding. So hopefully to deliver a better quality beef calf that a beef farmer can buy or a dairy farmer can keep themselves and rear through to various stages, be it to store stage or finish or whatever they're doing. So. It's a two-pronged approach. We're trying to get the, 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 the raw product right in terms of the calf. And it's going to be able to hit the ground healthy and we'll grow and we'll, we'll do what it says in the tin. And then we're going to try and, I suppose, up the skill set of the dry stock, the beef farmers, like when we buy in these, and that they hopefully produce the product as cheaply as possible and leave themselves with a, a relatively strong margin at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and you have a programme member in the Midlands here as part of your Dairy Beef 500, Alan?
2: Yeah, we have Irvin Allen there. He's in uh, Mount Temple in Questmead and Irvin's rearing, I suppose, you know, anything from a 100 to 120 calves every year take him through to finish. And, you know, we've been working closely with him the last number of years trying to, I suppose, improve profitability, and he has made strides. And Look, all our farmers in the program found last year, I think, a, a significant challenge, uh, and vast majority of that was related to either input costs in the first six months of the year, or else the weather in the second half of the year where the rain just didn't stop, so... We've had our challenges and, and we're doing profit monitors at the minute. It'll be interesting to see where, where they finish up.
1: Yeah, so your webinar next Tuesday evening on the 16th is uh, for uh, calf housing and also keeping the calf healthy during the rearing phase. Now, farmers may say, ah, look, I'm rearing calves for years and I know what to do when I have my system and things go well and, and, and whatnot. However, it, it's fine to say that, but over the last few years, we are seeing a move into more vaccinations. We're also seeing different types of health issues with calves. So it is important for farmers to be cognizant of this and keeping their finger on the pulse in relation to what's new out there.
2: Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. We're seeing a lot more trouble with in health problems with calves the last few years. and A lot of it is related to viruses. You know, a, a lot of dairy farmers ask, you know, beef farmers, are they getting trouble with scouring calves when they're brought in? By and large, we don't see much trouble with scours. Very, very minor. And, and really, that, a lot of that is due to the fact that the calves are probably hitting three weeks of age before they hit a beef farm. So if they're going to get a scour, they're probably over it. But we have seen a lot of trouble with virus pneumonias, et cetera, in the last number of years. Um, and especially, you know, some of it's related to housing too, that calves have been put into maybe sheds that may be slightly unsuitable. And look, you know, some guys get away with it for a certain number of years, but often when you see the numbers increase on farm and, you know, the intensity of the stocking rate go up on grass or inside of the shed, that suddenly you've a herd health breakdown. And we've seen situations where that's caused severe headaches and costs for beef farmers buying in calves or dairy farmers that are holding calves themselves. And we're just we've marked cabin on from Munster Bovine, who many people will know who's excellent at, at, at CAP housing and a, a great reputation, just to give some tips on, you know, what to do and what not to do, and maybe look at a few tips on how to retrofit a shed or design a new shed. And with Sarah Higgins from, from MSC, talk about these vaccination protocols. And we have, we've seen great results from vaccination protocols in terms of, you know, eliminating the, the major calf health breakdowns we've seen, you know, so it, 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 there are a lot of simple steps farmers can take to actually alleviate any problems. And we also have Peter O'Hanlon. he's one of our monitor farms, Um, who's uh, in Kilkenny and he's going to talk about his experience in that regard.
1: Are most of your programme members, Alan, vaccinating their calves at this stage? And if so, uh, have they seen a a health benefit as a result of that?
2: A a lot of them would be. And and look, we've taken all the other steps as well and it's going to be touched on the second night in terms of sourcing the calves and making sure you're buying them from a reliable source and, you know, ensuring the calf is healthy when they arrive. But yeah, the vaccinations are going in and typically, I suppose it's that first week or two after they arrive on the farm. You're watching that calf really closely. It's the intranasal vaccines that's what we're generally given on, on a lot of the farms, and it's, it's to basically get that that vaccine in that work, that's working fast. Because look, they are coming from a to a different environment from where they were previously, and it does bring its own stresses. And I suppose why we we're typically buying from farm farm to farm sales, which is a bit of a help. Um, it can still be problems. I suppose in terms of you know when when calves come in from different sources and viruses kick in but what we do see is where a vaccine has been given even if animals calves do get sick they're a lot easier cure we do seem to be um, hitting the nail in the head of that
1: yeah and as you alluded to there your the second webinar is on the 30th it's two weeks after next Tuesday evening and it's going on to the sourcing of dairy beef calves and then feeding the dairy beef calf we're talking about the sourcing as you said there uh, Alan it's um, look if, if a calf has been vaccinated he or, or she, whatever the case may be, is going to be easier to treat. I suppose the, the big issue with uh, guys who are rearing calves is they want to get them as old as possible, and the dairy farmer wants to move them off the farm as soon as possible, and therein lies the problem. You'll always hear uh, somebody saying, listen, you can't beat a month-old calf. They come in, they hit the ground running, they're ready to roll, but the dairy farmers don't want to keep them month as a result of labour and whatnot, and you can, you can see why. It's a, it's a, it's a middle ground. It's, it's hard to get the right answer to
2: yeah, 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 you hit the end, the head there. If you take the the sixteen or seventeen demo farms we had, the vast majority would kind of have a rule that they don't take calves under three weeks of age. Um, they do prefer that stronger calf, uh, and look, it's it's easy to see why. Um, you know, a, a three week old calf is fifty percent older than a two week old calf, so they do have that little. They are that little bit stronger. Probably wouldn't see too many calves coming on at maybe a month of it, month old, because as you said, the dairy farms want to move them, but. Around that three-week stage, look, they're, they're generally at the stage where they should be reasonably strong enough to be to be moved to that stage. And a lot of in a lot of cases for moving huge distances they are being bought locally, um, from you know repeat suppliers each year. So, it's it, it, it's hard to it's hard to to crack that nut in terms of if dairy farmers want them gone at 10 or 11 days of age or two weeks or whatever. But there is a, there is a resistance with um beef farmers to buy them in at that age because they are still very vulnerable. They're a young calf. They have very little immunity. And you just want to give them that little bit of time that they've, or that little bit strong, you're over the worst of it. They, they shouldn't really be getting any major scours or that, you know, once they pass the three week stage. Um, and that kind of does, you know, if a farmer buys in calves, he gets a good experience. Um, and doesn't have any major trouble. The chances are he'll be back looking for the calves again next year, which is what the dairy farmer wants. You know, mm,
1: yeah, I think the tr- the three week I- I- is reasonable in around 21 days. I think you know I- your members are rearing lots of calves, and they're seeing that that's around the the age. And uh, if uh, if the guys who are doing it on the ground say that, uh, then then look, the dairy farmers have to listen as well. And. It, it's about meeting in the middle as you say uh, moving on to feeding the dairy beef calf I was speaking to an older farmer at a farm walk back maybe a month, six weeks ago and he, he made a very good point to me he said uh, about dairy beef calves uh, last year they were very hard fed he said if they were very hard fed they were very hard reared uh, and he said he was maybe rearing a couple of hundred calves can't think what the number was but he said the vast majority of them ended up having two bags of milk powder each uh, and back in the day that wouldn't have been the case is that what you're seeing alan on the member farms that uh, calves are just they're, they're taking that little bit more just to get them up to that maybe 100 kilos before you wean them
2: um, I suppose uh, the, the experience we see in the ground is we didn't see any extra milk replacer going in this year. Um, I suppose our our farmers, demo farms, would be, well, I suppose if you take it, they're buying a calf at three weeks old and from three weeks to weaning, they're probably averaging around 1.2 bags or 1.3 bags of milk replacer. That would be about the average hmm. now, uh, that they would be consuming. Now, look, it goes, it ranges from less than a bag up to maybe 1.8 or 9 bags. It depends on the, the, every farmer is different, but... Well, where we did see trouble was probably later in the year, um, probably from around that June-July period onwards, where the weather broke down. We did see um, probably a poor weight gains in calves due to the lack of, you know, dry matter in the grass. We're feeding out of extra meal. You know, there was roughage sources going in, in terms of hay and straw in the field. It was it was down to weather really that, you know, those as I said to last people, there's water above them and there's water below them all year. So calves didn't thrive very well in that scenario, and it was the same problem we had with the older cattle the year the year and a half of the grass um they're probably back about 50 kilos i'd say and a lot mm. going into the shades last autumn Cads were probably wieners probably back around 20 to 30 kilos as a result of weather but um it was a tricky spring i suppose with with the way the weather came to you know i mean we had a a very bad march in april which brought cold weather wet weather everything and it, you know it probably did impact on, on on calf rare and a lot of farms i'd say you know
1: yeah, very good, Alan. Look, there's going to be loads of info there available at those. If people want to sign up to them, uh, what do they pop into Google or how will they get a uh, link in order to do it?
2: Yeah, well, you can, just, you can log on there. Uh, um, just go into two Google Chagas Dairy B 500 webinars. Uh, it'll pop up uh, from the Chagas Dairy B 500 uh, website. Um, and you can register in advance if you want, or you can just join in tonight. Uh, there's a huge number there's a couple of hundred registered already for next week's one alone. Um, so, look, it's it, it's it's free to register, it's free to join, um, and we have some good speakers. And it's on at eight o'clock, eight o'clock to nine o'clock um, on the sixteenth and the thirtieth of January uh, for anyone that wants to join. Very and good. Uh, Sending your own questions on the night as well.
1: Excellent stuff. Many thanks for joining me, Alan, and uh, we will speak to you again on the programme.
2: Thanks very much, MJ. Bye bye.
1: Uh, Alan Dillon, there from the Dairy Beef 500. And as Alan said, if you want to register for those uh, Dairy Beef 500 webinars, pop them into Google and you will get a link. And that is next Tuesday night, 8 to 9, and then the following fortnight, 30th of January, 8 to 9, as well. And some useful hints and tips there available on the night. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Grace Castles. She's from Ballymahan Vocational School about the BT Young Scientist Competition. Herself and Laura Flood and Kira Hopkins. Are uh, competing in the event with a project about cow collars. Very interesting. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And also, Borbia have announced data yesterday that our exports topped 16 billion for the second year in a row. John Tobin from Borbia is going to join us to chat about those figures also, so stay tuned.
0: Country Life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W. Orshow Burlington Business Park Tillamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W. Orshaw.
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to the BT Young Scientist competition and I have Grace Castles from Ballyman Vocational School on the line. Uh, Grace, many thanks for joining me here on the programme this evening.
3: Um, well, how are you? <laughs> we're,
1: we're very good, Grace. And I'm going to say many thanks for talking to me here. Now, it's not just yourself that's involved in this project; it is yourself and your two colleagues, your two uh, classmates. Can you just tell us the names of the other two girls as well, please, uh, before we proceed? And
3: um, Kira Hopkins and Laura Flood.
1: Excellent stuff. So it's yourself, uh, Kira, and Laura, and you are involved in something that has a real farming twist to it, Grace. So tell us what's your project about, please.
3: Our project is called Our Cow Collars Worth Type and the aim of our project was to see if cow collars benefit dairy farmers by reducing labour and improving cow health. What? So basically, the cow collars are like Fitbit for cows. So they do a wide range of things, but we focus more on cow health and fertility, as I said. So when your cows are sick, it sends you a notification. It's, there's an app that connects your collars and this is what it sends a notification on. So you can cast it in this early and reduce the antibiotic use. And then it also, so this is how it does this. It monitors the rumination of the cows and activity and lots more. But that's kind of, every farmer knows rumination is a very good way of knowing if the cow is sick or not. And also when your cows are on heat, it actually sends you a notification too. And you can see it in a graph when it's the best time to inseminate your cows so it does quite a lot the collars do
1: and tell me this uh, Grace it's all about cow collars it's all about cow health it's all about uh, easing the workload that's what we want on, on farms are yourself and the girls from dairy farms Grace?
3: Um, actually I am from a dairy farm and a beef farm we do both and Kira does beef and sheep and then Laura actually does dairy too she does a mix of everything she does dairy beef and sheep as well so to make sure.
1: And how did you come up with this? How did you decide to work on cow collars?
3: Well, we only got cow collars on our farm in the past year, I'd say. And Laura doesn't have them on her dairy farm. So we were kind of talking one day and we were like, does it make much of a difference? Because we only got our collars, so we didn't really know. We've seen improvements all right, but we kind of want to have, get a better view and see if they really did for dairy farmers so we can improve help them improve their farms and reduce workload.
1: And you had to go and uh, talk to dairy farmers and you had to collate all this data. How did you go about doing that? Did you go out knock on doors? Did you go to neighbours? <laughs> How did you, you, you figure it out? Where did you get your info from?
3: So what we actually decided to do is we made two surveys on Google Forms. So we made one for farmers who use collars and, far- and one for farmers who don't. So we actually sent them around. We got in contact with Lelly and a lot of collar companies and they sent out to their customers and actually Chogas, they were a great help and everything but also we actually went out to tree dairy farmers as well and they were a great help, they had collars too. So we compared our results from the surveys and everything all together to get our final findings. <laughs>
1: Yeah, excellent stuff. So you had to put in a bit of groundwork. And now the competition started today. Uh, so somebody came and looked at your project today. Tell me, how's it going to work over the course of today, tomorrow and the rest of the week? Or how are you going to know how you get on?
3: So there will be judging until Friday. So a judge will come each day. And then on Friday, actually, you get the results. We see who wins and gets prizes on Friday. But it's open to the public to Tuesday to Saturday, so we're actually there, uh, sorry, Thursday to Saturday, so we're actually there to Saturday, but the judging's only until Friday, so...
1: Right, okay, well uh, it's definitely something different it's not going to be something that the judges are going to see uh, regularly at the Young Scientist competition and uh, I think it's a it's a fantastic project and you're really really getting some good information there and you're going to help farmers to relieve their workload which is the big one and uh, you're going to answer some good questions. So Grace, we're going to wish yourself, Laura and Kira all the best here from Country Life on Midlands 103. We hope you do really, really, really well and uh, you'll have to let us know how you get on. So fingers crossed that you're going to smash it over the next couple of days uh, all the best and uh, well done on all the work you've done so far
3: perfect thank you so much you're very good you're more I than hope welcome we get far too
1: yeah fingers, thank so fingers crossed thank you Grace <laughs> bye bye uh,
4: bye
1: Grace Castle there from uh, Ballymahan uh, Vocational School and uh That is herself, and as we said, Laura Flood and Kira Hopkins. And their project is all about cow collars how they work, do they relieve a workload, how they help the farmer, and a really, really, really interesting one there and really on trend. We see more of a push on robotics in farming, especially dairy farming, uh, as the last couple of years progress after, especially after uh, lockdown, after COVID, where labor just is really, really, really a huge issue. So we see uh, more farmers going down this route where. They can do more work from their office desk, go in and sit down, look at the screen and see how the animals are performing, see how the heats are doing, see uh, all of this different data instead of having to go out and about and do it physically. And uh, that's what that is all about, a move uh, towards more robotics and more... um, off farm, if you will, uh, labour. Uh, now, coming up after the break, I tried to get John Tobin there from board B just before the break, and I was having no luck. So, I'm going to try and get John. If I get him, great. And uh, I'm also lining up uh, Steve Collins. Uh, I mentioned to you at the start of the programme that Dr. Steve Collins is from Derry Duff Farm in West Cork, and he's going to be talking about his background. How he's working in global nutrition, how he works out in Africa, and also about something called an Arona Berry. I'm not gonna tell you what an Arona Berry is. I'm gonna let Steve do all the explanation on that in just a moment, so stay tuned.
0: Country life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W Ore Show Burlington Business Park Telemore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands, W Orshow.ie
1: and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to food and drink exports, and they have exceeded 16 billion for the second consecutive year, uh, Board BIA data tells us. And we have John Tobin from Board BIA joining us now to chat about it. John, many thanks for joining me on the program this evening. No
4: problem. Thanks, Indrek. Delighted to be on.
1: Uh, You're more than welcome, John. And this is a real good news story for Irish agriculture. We had 16 billion last year and that was seen as a a big, big, big number for us here in relation to exports from Ireland. And uh, we've done it now for two years in a row. And it does show just the amount of work that is happening on Irish farms up and down the country to produce this amount of food products. Yes, it certainly
4: does. And as you said, um, the performance in 2022 was a record-breaking performance. And then this year, even though we saw a bit of a decrease, uh, down 4% year on year, but when we compare it back to pre-COVID-19 levels in 2019, it's still up 24%. And when you equate it back to on a daily basis, it amounts to more than €44.5 million worth of food, drink and horticulture uh, products leaving our shores each and every day in
1: 2023. Yeah, they're, they're huge, huge numbers, John, no question about it. If we just look uh, down through a few of the different sectors and uh, the big one obviously being dairy, look, there's no surprise that uh, dairy is top of the tree, but 6.3 billion in dairy exports last year. It's a phenomenal figure.
4: Yes, it was. And um, it the dairy market in 2023 um was a bit challenged, uh, reflecting an overall global downturn in dairy market values that started to emerge in late 2022 and uh, continued on to, into 2023. Um, and you know, to put in a bit of context, the pricing challenges, for for example, butter on the European market in the summer and autumn of 2022, butter um, prices were over €7,000 per tonne and declined to about, back to about €4,500 per tonne. Uh, over the same period in 2023. But yes, it is a strong performance, and it does have to be acknowledged that 2023 um, by no means um, was an easy year uh, from a farming perspective. And as as it was highlighted on your show only last week, you know, um, we, had a, we had a wet spring from uh, early March onwards, followed by a dry summer. And then from nearly early July, it felt like it never stopped raining up until about last week. Um, So, you know, when we put it in that context, um, it was a good performance. Now, it it does need to be highlighted, you know, that over that year, um, input prices at farm level and at processor level uh, remained quite elevated. So that was a challenge, another challenge as well um, for the dairy industry um, to deal with. But yes, a good performance overall in the face of a cost of living crisis globally, as well and um, as we look to the 2024 you know with that expensive product worked through the supply chain um, you know product, dairy products should become more affordable for consumers uh, next year on, on the assumption that you know economic growth improves in 2024 um, and also um, most dairy commentators are suggesting that uh, import demand could increase by about two to three percent so A little bit of positivity coming into the sector, um, but just does need to be tempered with, you know, that uh, uncertainty does um, still exist around the economic growth aspect for 2024.
1: Yeah, and as you say... Uh, John that uncertainty in relation to economic growth uh, as we know lots of uncertainty in 2023 with inflation and inflation has a a, a direct uh, impact on what consumers are going to buy and what they're going to put into the trolley and uh, again that's has the big one here in relation we're looking at grand big figures here but we have to remember that all of this starts with the individual going into their local shop and buying their weekly shopping and that's all added up and that's where these figures come from sometimes we forget about that when we're talking about these billions uh, it, one that is interesting John uh, with meat and livestock is 4.2 billion so if we add our meat and livestock and our dairy we're up on 10.5 billion and that's a, a huge amount out of this 16 billion but the uh, the Irish drink industry and again this is a big one a lot of our tillage farmers are involved in this uh, this was up to 1.8 billion due largely to market factors in the North American spirits sector uh, North America and Irish whiskey have a fantastic relationship Yes they do and um
4: you know, that, that was a strong performance as well. Um, I guess in 2023, we did see some challenges with the North American market. It was a temporary um, situation. You know, uh, stock coming into 2023 was quite high in the North American market. And depletion rates of that existing stock was a bit slower um, than expected. But overall, um, 1.8 billion and 8% of it decreased. And when we look at the makeup within the drinks category, uh, for example, uh, beer exports um, had quite a strong performance, up 11% to €330 million. And compared to pre-COVID levels, that value represents an increase of 8%. So when we look at the overall beer industry, um, it is back on a a growth trajectory um, as of uh, 2023.
1: Yeah, another, another huge success story. John, we could stay speaking about all the figures. They're, they're the big ones. It's really interesting, I have to say. And uh, it's great to get your insight from someone who's just involved in this on a, on a daily basis. But as we said, it's a good news story. We've exceeded 16 billion for the second consecutive year and uh, it's positive looking for 2024. John, I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme. Uh, we'll have you back this time next year and we'll see how we get on for 2024. We'll see if we can top this 16.3 billion uh, going forward. Many thanks, John. Thanks very much, MJ. Uh, John Tobin there from Bord Bia. And uh, as we say, those uh, figures, they make for a hugely interesting reading. And uh, between uh, dairy and meat and livestock, we have 10.5 billion in relation to our exports. And uh, as I said, that interesting one, 1.8 billion, For the drink exports and a huge, huge market there in North America. As I said, uh, Irish whiskey, North America, it's a high value product and uh, it's something which goes down very well in that part of the world. And you can see it almost two billion and we will see how 2024 goes. Of course, as John said, it is down to what's the economic outlook and uh, what can consumers afford to buy? Because at the end of the day, uh, that is what dictates all of these things. It's great as well seeing this amount of export and the billions and billions going out of the country, but uh, we would like a little bit more stayed in the farmers' pockets and a a small bit more of a margin was made in relation to our goods. 2023 wasn't a fantastic year income-wise. We know that from the Chagas Income Survey and uh, the farmers producing this food have to be looked after or else these global exports won't be further at. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Dr. Steve Collins. As I said to you from the start, he's going to be talking about Arona berries, berry. He's going to be talking about hunger in Africa. He's going to be talking about nutrition. Very interesting man, so stay tuned.
0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park, Telemore, Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie
1: and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, delighted to be joined by Dr. Steve Collins. He's coming to us all the way from County Cork. Uh, Steve, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
5: Ah uh. Evening men, How you
1: doing? Uh, we're doing very good, Steve. It's uh, Derry Duff Farm is the name of your farm and we're going to talk about how you got into farming in just a little moment. We're also going to talk about Arona berries. Uh, you're growing them down on your farm and the benefits of them and how farmers can get involved with them. But first, a little bit of background, uh, Steve. It's not a Cork accent I hear there in the background. So can you tell us uh, where you grew up, where you went to school, a little bit about your early life and how you got to uh, where you're at now, please?
5: Yeah, well, the family sort of nipped out for a generation. My forebears came from Cork, but I was brought up in the UK, just north of London, in Bedford. Um, but you know, I, I've always fancied living in Ireland, and it's so beautiful here. So I came back about 20 years ago, and then gradually increased the farming.
1: Uh, I like the way you said we nipped out for a generation, and uh, now you're back. You're back where you belong. It's uh, it's a lovely way of putting it.
5: Exactly. Yeah, no, back home.
1: And uh, Steve, you um, trained then, we have lots of uh, doctors on the programme. Sometimes the doctors are PhDs, but you're a doctor of, you actually are a doctor who practice. Uh, what area of, of medicine did you, did you practice in? Because that has a big bearing on, on where you're at today. Yeah, so, so on
5: my, my basic qualification was a medical doctor, but I also did a lot of anthropology and then got a, a PhD in nutrition. Um, so I specialised for the last 35 years, really, in, in nutrition, but particularly in the treatment of severe starvation in famines and wars. So I spent, spent a lot of my time in, in Africa and Asia treating starvation.
1: How did that happen, Steve? How did you get out into, the, into those situations? Because it's not the, the oh, average, was, it's not, something, not something you hear everybody saying.
5: No, it's not your normal career path, no. I, I was... Uh, in, in my medical student holidays, in the summer of 85, I was in Uganda when there was a war when Abote the president was overthrown. And so I sort of used it as an excuse not to go back to college for a year and traveled round through Africa. And I ended up in the Sahel in Sudan during that, the, the Band-Aid famine um, in 1985, 86. Um, you know, the one that hit Ethiopia, but it went right across the Sahel in Africa and I, I realized you couldn't be a tourist in a famine. I was meant to be going home, but in the end, I, I got a job um, initially vaccinating, but then soon moved on to, to moving around the villages and seeing what food people needed and then allocating it. And I did it all on horse. So I was sort of living in the villages and really saw firsthand what famine did and the disaster it was, but also how incredibly you know, positive it, it is to, you know, to, to prevent it and to treat it. And so that really set my course. And so as soon as I qualified, I went abroad and then started really full time from 92 in the whole Somalia famine.
1: And trying to prevent it and trying to treat it is an area that you worked in for a number of years. Steve, can you tell us a little bit about that? What, what were you working at? What products were you trying to come up with to try and, as you say, prevent it and treat it?
5: Yeah, well, initially I was working with Concern. I was setting up um, first line famine centres um, to treat starving kids and adults. But very soon I realized the model of waiting until people got really sick and then treating them in hospitals just couldn't work. And so then I spent about 10 years developing a whole model of treating children who are really sick with starvation, but in their homes with the mother or the caregiver as the main you know, provider of care. And that sort of went global and, and the model we developed in Valid sort of, and working with concern has, has gone global. And then I, I sort of... Realized that you needed to not just treat it even if it was in people's homes, but you had to actually produce the products to treat it with locally Made out of locally grown ingredients. So then I got into the whole Manufacturing these what they call ready-to-use therapeutic foods they are a paste But but they used to be made just in Europe out of milk But then I, I realized we needed to make those in Africa. So I started to develop Um, products and did research and started a a charity called valid nutrition to take that work forward and in the end we ended up sort of creating plant-based products that could be made in Africa and then used through local communities so that's where we sort of got to
1: and we're talking, my previous guest just before he came on, Steve, was um, a guy from Borbia. We exported over 16 billion uh, worth of food products in Ireland here last year. Uh, so we are a country of abundance. We don't know anything about hunger here. We've never, no one in, in the country needs to be hungry at all. Uh, even if you're on a, a low income level, there's uh, lots of places where you can get food given to you. We're very, very, very lucky. Obviously, when you're looking at, uh, not that far away, a couple of hours in a plane and you get down to Africa, uh, in, in today's society, 2024, Like, what's it like at the moment in relation to starvation and people being literally, you know, on a line where they need these products to stay alive? Where are we at?
5: It's worse than it's ever been. There's more people now suffering from malnutrition than there ever has been. Now, maybe in some places the percentage is going down, but recently, um, particularly with the shocks to the global supply chain, because, you know, we're all interconnected and a lot of, particularly sub-Saharan African Countries depend on global supplies. And then you had COVID and then you had the whole uh, Ukraine war where Ukraine was a massive exporter of food into the developing world. And so you've got huge suffering now and it's getting worse. Um, So it's not a happy situation at all.
1: Yeah, it's really sobering to hear that, Steve, Uh, when, you know, we we live in in this country of excess and we come just after Christmas and there's presents and there's food and everything. Uh, How do you kind of balance it out for yourself, for someone who's involved in this and seen it on a a first-hand basis? Like, the average person will hear it say, oh, look, it's tough, but they'll kind of forget about it. You're dealing with this. Like, it's a a hard one. It must be a very hard one.
5: Yeah, no, it, it is. I think it's why I actually live where I live because I found, I found particularly the, the change in gear. You know, when you're in a famine and you're dealing with people who've just lost all their children through no fault of anyone's but the global model meant that they starved. Um, when you're there, you just get on with it. But then I found it very difficult to come back here. And then you're, you're, you're talking to people and, and they are complaining about perfectly legitimate complaints. You know, their new car's got a scratch. That's that. If I had a new car it had a scratch, I would be fed up. You can't swap between oh I've just lost all my children through starvation and oh I've just my new car's got a scratch and so my my solution was to live as far away from people as possible so I live up a a mountain in West Cork about a half hour's walk from the nearest house and there it's putting your head in the sand I know but but that's how I cope with
1: it yeah well look uh, you know it's it's a way and a a means of doing it because uh, very challenging to do no question about it but as you've just got onto it now, you've led onto the fact of where you live, you're in a remote, isolated park, part, I should say, of County Cork and uh, you would say to yourself, very hard to grow anything there, um, but you have come across a crop and a plant, uh, Steve, that is working very well in that area. Can you elaborate on that first, please?
5: Yeah. So, so I, I didn't want to, when I gave up the humanitarian work or pulled back after 35 years, I, I didn't want to give out up in nutrition And so I wanted to find something that could grow in West Cork or in in marginal land in Ireland that was highly nutritious and could address problems that are afflicting Irish people. So a third of Irish adults have this condition called metabolic syndrome, which is where you would have either central obesity, high blood pressure, poor blood glucose, um, or or general just um, bad blood fats. You know, the doctor talks about bad blood fats. And this is affecting so many people in Ireland, and it's causing a lot of illness, unhappiness, and early death. And so I wanted to try and see, if could I turn my nutritional expertise to preventing or helping prevent that? And I came across these berries called Aronia berries, which grow on the worst possible soil. They don't mind wind, they're weed resistant, they don't take much fertilizer, they don't mind freezing, they don't mind rain. You know, they're, they're perfect for here. And they've got the highest, source of this plant new defense compound which directly helps to prevent things like overweight or things like high blood pressure so it directly helps to prevent metabolic syndrome so i am mean, I, I started trying them about six years ago and now they're growing really well so so we've developed a range of products to to address the these common public health problems in ireland
1: uh where do they originate from the berries, steve they're a North American
5: native Indian um, medicinal food. So they used to use them. In way the as you know, people take cranberries because they're very good for infections, especially urine tract infections. Well, that's the same active ingredient. It's called polyphenol. And so the, the Native American Indians used to use them to treat things like colds and make them sort of uh, in, bolster up their immune system so they were defended from disease. Um, so that's where they originally came from.
1: Do they taste kind of like a cranberry? They do. They're sharp. They've got a, a sort of slightly
5: bitter edge. They're, to be honest, as a berry themselves, they're not that tasty. They're, you know, I grow blueberries as well, and I much prefer the blueberries. But they make a lovely low-sugar juice, which has got a little bitterness in it. But it's, it's, once, it's interesting. Once you start drinking it, your body votes with its feet, you know, in the same way as if you eat something that makes you ill, you want to avoid it. With these, once you start drinking it, after a couple of days, your body sort of wants it and you actually sort of, uh, because you feel better on it. And so they're they're palatable once they're made into a juice. And and we, we have juices, we have powders, we have capsules for different people's tastes.
1: So what would you like, uh, Steve, would you like uh, a number of Irish farmers? We have the sleeve Bloom Mountains here up in the Midlands, Lee Shoffley, that are, you know, uh, inclement to say the least. There's some very bad patches of it. There's some land that you would say you won't be able to grow anything on it. But however, the aronia berries might grow just fine on it. Would you like farmers to get involved? Would you like this to be something that uh, takes off in Ireland, that aronia berries are something that are synonymous with Ireland?
5: absolutely so we can't meet the supply i can produce on my little farm already we're having to import organic berries from poland but that's never been my vision i I want this stuff grown locally and the fact that you can monetize rough areas of mountain you know i'm i'm out of two-thirds of an acre, I'm turning over 1,500 quid of rough mountain moorland mm-hmm. and making 1,000 quid profit. You know, you're not going to do that with what's going on with sheep or even cattle.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
5: I think in the coming years where you've got more pressure from climate change, you've got more pressure to diversify potentially away from animals, as, as seems to be uh, happening with the, the grant system, for example. Having a plan B to grow this really easy-to-grow hardy perennial that could grow anywhere and, and actually create a lot more revenue and profit than, than traditional sheep farming, say, but also the product directly helps health in Ireland. You know, I think it's a, it's a good thing and so, yeah, if anyone's interested, you know, they please get in contact and... Uh,
1: yeah, have you have you a, a society or a co-op or something of like-minded people who are getting together and who are sharing ideas or is it a little bit early for that yet?
5: No, there's, there's, so it's not a co-op. I'm... I, to be honest, I'm, I, I prefer to have a sort of more business model. Um, so there's there's a route to market. So we have a brand, the Fighterberry brand, which is now in loads of health shops around the country, and it's creating a huge demand. And what we're doing with farms, we're saying, look, if you want to grow these berries, we'll give you all the technical support to set them up, and then we'll we'll buy them off you. Um, and so so that's that's the model we're looking at. And and where, yeah, we've got, well, there's about sort of eight ten thousand 10,000 plants within in this year. So it's starting. It's very early days, but it's starting, and, and there needs to be a lot more to meet demand.
1: Uh, what's your website, uh, Steve? If there is farmers listing and they like the sound of this, how do they contact? What's the best mode of contact?
5: Yeah, the, the, so the, the, the Fighter Berry brand's on www.aroniaisland. So it's A R O N I A and then Ireland, as in the country, dot com.
1: Aroniaireland.com. I'm glad you spelt Aronia, uh, Steve, because I've, <laughs> yeah. I've written it down about seven times, as you said, and I think I've spelled it wrong every time. Uh, A- I started up, it with I an, an I, I put an A in somewhere, because it's, just, it's, just, it's an interesting spelling, A-R-O-N-I-A, Aronia, so it's phonetic, exactly. Aroniaireland.com. Exactly, yeah, uh, Aronia fighter berries,
5: yeah, fight berries easy to remember, that's pita, fighter, as in the phytonutrients nutrients in the berry, so that's easier to remember.
1: Uh, Well, Steve, I'm just out of time and I'm going to say many, many thanks for joining me here on the programme uh, giving us a really in-depth view of not only your own uh, background but also moving on then to these Aronia berries and uh, anything where uh, we can help people and also there's a margin to be made. It's win-win. So uh, I'm hoping that people will log on and have a look at this. Uh, No doubt I'll be speaking to you again on the programme, Steve, when this grows and grows as it will. And I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here uh, this evening on Country Life.
5: Great. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.
1: Many thanks. Uh, Dr. Steve Collins there, it's Duff Farm and it is aroniaireland.com A-R-O-N-I-A Ireland.com and it's Fighter Berry if you pop that in as well, the Fighter Berry brand. So that's something really interesting there and definitely a lot of land here, as I said, around the sleeve blooms uh, in Leach that's in uh, higher uh, altitudes uh, may not be good for much else and uh, if you could grow something like this, make some money, and uh, help the health of the Irish people and indeed European people Um, it would be fantastic that is it for this evening's programme I'm going to say Many thanks to all my guests who joined me here over the course of the last hour. We started with Alan Dillon from Chagas talking about those calf events which are taking place online, uh, Dairy Beef 500 webinars. We were speaking to Grace Castles, uh, so um, really uh, hope Grace, uh, Laura Flood, and Kira Hopkins do well in the BT Young Scientist competition. John Tobin from Board BIA uh, spoke to us about how we've topped 16 billion for the second year running in exports. And lastly, just there, we spoke to Dr. Steve collins and that's aroniaireland.com if you're interested in growing some of those plants and growing those aronia berries i will be back with you next wednesday evening as always shows repeated on sunday morning at 7 a.m. until 8 a.m. and if you want to listen at your leisure to our podcast wherever you get your podcast type in mj space cleary c-l-e-r-y we will pop up we'll speak to you in seven days time good night and god bless
0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshall Burlington Business Park Tillamore. supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. worshaw.ie